we are created for worship, but what does that mean? Lifting hands and singing songs are outward signs of our worship, but what is the posture of our heart? Today on Bloom, we'll discuss how the gospel points us to a life of authentic worship that has nothing to do with singing, but everything to do with submission. I'm your host, Jennifer Robinson, for July 14th, 2023. Welcome to Bloom. This is a podcast designed to inspire, encourage, and grow women in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So we are in our second week of our summer spiritual makeover mini-series. Each week in the month of July, we are taking a closer look at areas of our spiritual maturity that might need a little touch-up or a complete makeover. Last week, we began on the topic of forgiveness. If you missed it, you're going to want to go back and have a listen. The concept of real forgiveness is something God has been working in my life in the past couple of years. And I want you to begin experiencing the same rich relationship with him that he's blessed me to have that was only possible through the disciplined decision to forgive. Now, since this is a mini-series and time is brief, we are diving right into this conversation today. So ready or not, here we go. This week, we're talking about making over our worship. Now, in my personal study and prep time, I like to begin with definitions. It's always a good starting point. And when I looked at the definition of worship, it said a feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that definition, it seemed to fall short a bit. It's not a bad definition, and I would say it's fairly accurate, especially when we consider our culture of Western worship. Worship to us equates to singing psalms, raising our hands, maybe even shouting out a praise to God. And I would say each of these are appropriate outward expressions of worship. But what does true worship look like? Yes, our lives are a continual act of worship, how we treat others, how we honor God in our decisions, how we exemplify Jesus in all we do. These do qualify as worship. But what is the posture of real worship? And when I say posture, I'm not necessarily implying your physical stance. What is the posture of your heart before God? My only beef with this kind of lackluster definition of worship, no offense Webster, is that authentic worship isn't just adoration or praise. It is those things. But the more I read the word, the more I'm finding that worship at its very core is about submission. Now, if there is something more that I love other than studying the definition of a word to get some better understanding, it's learning the biblical origin of a word. Now, the Bible has two parts that make up one cohesive canon. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was originally written in the Hebrew language, and the New Testament was written in the Greek language. So the Hebrew word for worship is shakah. It means to lay prostrate with your face touching the ground. It literally means to fall down on your face. It sounds like a physical expression, and it is. But the true indication, the true posture, is not the act of falling down, but It's a surrendered heart. To fall down to the ground is a posture of submission 
Because in order for us to worship something, we first must submit to it. We see this played out when Satan tempted Jesus in the desert. In Satan's final temptation to Jesus, he said he would give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in exchange of Jesus' worship. Satan said in Matthew 4, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. In other words, if you shaka me. Satan wasn't requesting Jesus' adoration, his gratitude, his affection towards him. Those don't really matter so much to Satan. Satan was after his submission. That is what he wanted from Jesus. If Jesus submitted to Satan, then he couldn't submit to God. And from the very beginning of time, his goal has always been, and it always will be, to separate us from God and submit to the world and its ways. He is after the allegiance of our hearts. And don't be fooled. The devil is smart and he's crafty. He's not very original or creative, but he knows our weaknesses. And he knows we've been created for worship. So what he does is he attempts to lure us to redefine what we worship. He uses our weakness as an attraction for our submission. Because he knows that what we worship is what we submit to. And what we submit to, eventually, it becomes our God. And just like Jesus, when he was in the desert, the enemy of our soul is going to attack us in the areas we are most vulnerable. At the times that we are the most vulnerable. Jesus was isolated. He was hungry. He was exhausted. So Satan used those areas to tempt Jesus, trying to trick Jesus into submitting to him over God. In those vulnerable moments, the posture of our hearts and the object of our worship comes to light very quickly. When our worship, our submission, is toward anything but God, it's an idol. Now, idols come in all shapes and sizes, but their intended purpose is to separate us from God and submit to the world and its ways. Because worship was designed only and exclusively for God. So anything that we worship that is outside of God is an idol. For instance, if substances have become an idol, they have become maybe a go-to lifeline in a crisis for you, then when challenges come, you will submit yourself to that substance. Submission to that substance instead of submission to God means that ultimately you worship that substance. And when you are faced in vulnerable situations, you fall down on your face to that substance instead of God. That substance becomes the object of your affection, the remedy for your pain, the companion of your grief. But the common denominator of every idol is that they are full of false hope and empty promises. They don't offer the lasting satisfaction that communion with God offers. And you might be listening and say, you know, substances aren't a big temptation for you. Satan says, Hey, that's no problem. I can use relationships, your career, entertainment, sex, comfort, technology, money, you name it, he can use it against you to lure your heart to submit to other things. 
And the Bible said he prowls around like a lion. He's waiting to catch you in those vulnerable moments so he can pounce. Satan tried to pounce at Jesus, but Jesus resisted Satan. Jesus replied to him, You shall worship Shekah, the Lord your God, and him only do you serve. But Jesus didn't only resist the devil when he was tempted. Jesus demonstrated the most perfect act of worship when he went to the cross. And we don't often look at Jesus' sacrificial death as worship. But Calvary was the most perfect act of worship because before the actual act of dying on the cross, Jesus first submitted to the Father's will. One of the most defining but less regarded moments of the gospel didn't take place at Golgotha, but in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 26, Jesus said to his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now catch this next part. It says, And going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face and prayed. The posture of submission. Jesus said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but as you will. The posture of a surrendered heart. Jesus fell on his face. He shakad before the Lord. He submitted to him, the Son of God, equal in deity, not my will, but yours be done. The true posture of worship begins with submission, submitting our hearts to God's will, knowing that what he wills is good and perfect and holy, no matter how dire, bleak, or hopeless the situation looks, no matter how challenging the decision, worship is submission. I wanted to mention this briefly because I thought this was incredibly interesting. We talked about the Hebrew word for worship. I want to take a moment to now talk about the Greek word for worship, which is proskuneo. It literally translates to kiss. Very different from the Hebrew definition. The act of a kiss, though, in Jewish custom is an expression of an intimate relationship, one marked by genuine love and respect. And this is why I think Jesus, while in that same garden of Gethsemane, pointed out the irony of Judas's act when he betrayed him. Judas told the chief priests and the elders that the one I kiss is the man. Judas betrayed Jesus by an act that was meant for worship. Judas, in his greed, had decided to transfer his submission from Jesus to the money that the religious leaders would reward him for turning Jesus over to them. What was intended for worship, Judas used as his means of betrayal of God's son. Proskuneo is intended for our adoration, aimed at the one we worship. And Satan knows what we love we will worship. That's why Matthew 6 tells us where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. And let me tell you something, friends. For the believer, the treasure in our heart has only space for one thing, and that is God. It doesn't mean that we don't love other things, that we don't love the people in our lives, but when God is at the center of our heart, when he is the one that we truly and genuinely and fully treasure, then everything else that God calls us to love in a biblical way is going to align to his truth. So a great question to ask ourselves, what is the treasure of our heart? Two beautiful postures Shaka, to fall on our face to the ground. It's submission. And proskuneo, intimacy and affection towards the treasure of our heart. A couple of years ago, God gave me the opportunity to experience Shaka and proskuneo. In similar fashion to Jesus, I experienced a hurtful betrayal by one of my closest friends that left me completely beside myself. At the onset of discovering the betrayal, I cried in like the most biblical sense. I wept bitterly. That is the best way that I could describe it. I had this dynamic duo of hurt and anger just pulsing through my veins. But I remember how God sat with me in all my feelings. I could barely stand straight. And in the rawness of my situation, I just remember simply asking him, what am I supposed to do? I was crying tears to God. What am I supposed to do? I just wanted to know that when you're sitting in the trenches of that kind of a situation, what is my next move? And God's answer was so simple, but so clear. He just said, worship me. That's all he said to me. Standing upright was already a struggle. So I bent down and I positioned my face to the ground, shaka, and I worshiped him in the way I knew how to in that moment. But I quickly sensed that he was inviting me inviting me to submit myself to him. There was a distinct invitation to offer this situation to him. And in return, he revealed to me his will for my response. Before that moment of submission, I was seriously contemplating breaking ties and walking away from the relationship, but God challenged me to not get weary in doing good and to pursue that friend out of a deeper love. And I cannot tell you how much everything changed in that moment. I was so overwhelmed and flooded by God's goodness to me in that moment. I could not help but pour out my praise to him. I showed proscuneo by adoring him for who he is. He became my closest companion and my friend in that moment. 
I knew he was worthy of both my submission and my adoration. Worship is adoration. It is about praising God. But it all starts with submission. If we examine the areas in our lives that we are struggling to submit, I'm going to tell you, you are going to find that they are rooted in idolatry. So I have to ask now, what are the areas in your life that you need to submit? Examine what you need to hand over to God. Submission is not something that we practice once in a while. It's a daily discipline. Just like we talked about in part one last week, just like forgiveness, it requires intentionality and consistency so that idols don't have any room to creep into our hearts. Ask yourself, do your days begin with a heart of submission? In your conversations with God, if you are not starting with intentional submission, then you are actually practicing insubordination, whether you mean to or not. Ask God to search every nook and cranny, every corner of your heart, those spaces where you think that you've just buried things so deep in the corner that no one's going to see it, that it doesn't matter, that there's no need to bring it to the light. That is a lie from the enemy. You want God to pull that out of you and you want to hand it over to him. Get rid of it. There's no room for it in your heart. If you aren't laying down your plans, your will, your desires each and every day before the Lord, you have created culture's most sneaky idol, yourself. I was at the gym the other day and I saw a man with a shirt that said, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. When we fail to submit to God, We are basically saying we are the captain of our lives. And that's a dangerous trap because when we submit to ourselves, we will worship what gratifies our flesh. We seek happiness over holiness. We seek comfort and pleasure over righteousness and refinement. I'm encouraging you with a real worship challenge this week. Begin each day falling on your face. You can do it physically, but most importantly, do it with your heart and submit everything over to God. Submit your plans, your agenda, your decisions, everything. Then give Jesus the praise and adoration he is worthy of. Intentionally and actively put him above all things in your life. Tell him every day that you love him for who he is, just for who he is. That is enough to love him. Worship is entirely the posture of our heart. Ask him again and again to search your heart, reveal anything to you that needs to be completely surrendered. I am so grateful that you tuned into Bloom today. I would love for you to comment, share, and subscribe wherever you consume the content so we can continue to grow together in Jesus. I hope you enjoyed this conversation on worship. I could keep talking on and on about this, but I hope that you just walk away knowing that worship is about submission as much as it is about adoration and praise. Next week, we'll be talking about what we gain 
when we make over prayer and fasting. Until then, keep growing and God bless. Thank you.